HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We've got a crazy pack room today. It's Cider Week NYC. We're celebrating cider, right? Cheers. Woo! Cheers. And it's uh, November 10th, 2015. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Beer Seal. And uh, special thanks to our sponsors, Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and ciders. If you have questions for our guests, you can tweet us at Beer underscore Sessions. Maggie's live in the studio, and she's going to take some great photos of uh, all of our guests. So let's. it's Cider Week NYC. We've got a packed house. We're going to talk about Cider Week and, and Cider Cocktails and, and some, some, some areas we've never gone into before on the show. But let's, let's have each guest introduce themselves and say a few things about what you're doing and how it relates to Cider Week. Hey, I'm Stephen Vallon, founder of Brooklyn Brew Shop, uh, maker of beer making kits and hard cider kits. I've uh, written a couple books and so you have you have hard cocktails. cider kits too, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we want you to be able to make some really high quality cider with just the same juice that you can get at the farmers market, and you can really make some really good stuff at home. I, I knew I was going to learn something new today. <laughs> All right. Hey there, I'm Eric West. I uh, write and podcast online at ciderguide.com. Uh, I'm also the director of the world's largest cider competition held in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's called the Great Lakes International Cider and Perry Competition. Let's make a toast to Eric, too, because Eric's really, he's a great, uh, you've traveled the world, at least the country. Yeah. You've probably tasted more ciders than, than almost anyone. Cheers. And uh, we really respect that you came up to New York City for it. Cider Week. Appreciate you having me. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for having me. I'm Yoni Rubino. Uh, I'm the co-founder of Never Sink Spirits. We make fruit uh, eau de vies, meaning unaged fruit spirits, in Porchester, New York, from 100% New York State-grown ingredients. Um, and we're tasting some apple eau de vie today from Never Sink Spirits um, and maybe making a cocktail with it. That's cool. And, and we're here with uh, other spirits makers as well, too, right? Uh, well, Fortified Wine, this is Bianca Moralia from Uncouth Vermouth, uh, also making a 100% New York product, uh, sustainably sourced. I either forage the ingredients myself or I am now growing them on my new farm in Saugerties, and uh, of course, Blooming Hill Farm as well. 
and new company-sensitive cleaners that is launching this month, uh, New York's eco-friendly beer line cleaning. cleaning service. How did I know that? <laughs> she snuck on the show to talk about her beer line cleaning. We're going we're gonna to talk about this, some of these spirits and, and how they're made into cocktails with cider. And, and this is our special guest today. This is why we're doing a show about cider and cocktails. Hi, I'm, I'm Darlene Hayes, and I, I blog about cider at a blog called allintocider.com. And I've recently written a book on cider cocktails because I got really interested in both the history of using cider and spirits together and was just looking for ways to kind of extend the experience of some of the great ciders that are being made in the Americas today. All right. And uh, one more person who's a cocktail expert. Yeah. Speaking of cider cocktails, my name's Jade Sotak. I'm the head bartender at Wassail, an amazing cider bar in the Lower East Side of New York City. And I'm here to uh, feed everyone my cocktail. Well, cheers. Let's make a toast to everybody. My first question is, what are we going to drink today? And I think Eric already started us off. Yeah, we're drinking an extra dry Perry from Farnham Hill. A lot of people are familiar with Steve Wood up there in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Um, he's been focusing on growing cider apples since like the 80s and 90s. And Perry pears, which are these very, very small, bitter pears, quite difficult to grow, quite difficult to ferment successfully. So this is a very limited release uh, from Farnham Hill that we're drinking. You know, Eric, I really respect what you've been doing. You get your newsletter every week. You cover every – tell us what you're doing in your newsletter. It's pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah, so uh, something I've decided to do just to kind of recap what's happening in Cider each week is that every Friday morning I find 10 things during the week that I thought were most interesting and most, most worth sharing. And I uh, share that. It's at ciderguide.com slash newsletter if you'd like to sign up for that. But it's a real quick uh, kind of recap of what's happening in cider. So if you're not a huge cider enthusiast, you can spend a couple minutes looking at that and find something of interest for you. What are some of the things that, that you find of interest right uh, now in, in cider in America? Uh, well, I guess for me, uh, there's different uh, approaches to cider making. Some people are treating it more like wine. Some people are treating it more like beer. Uh, and so people are kind of kind of drawing the lines like the chalk you know chalk line or the line in the sand is like this is cider and this is not cider and you know i guess what i'm trying to do with the with what i do is just to try and obliterate those lines you know it's all cider and we have to learn how to appreciate appreciate it all so there's a a cider for everyone um we just try and be i just try and be objective about how the ciders are made and kind of let people make their own decisions about whether it's something they enjoy drinking or not we're gonna have a great show man i'm really i'm really glad you came up to new york city from virginia from virginia yes and uh, what else did you do you went up to uh massachusetts didn't you yeah so the longest running festival that celebrates hard cider it's in uh Western Massachusetts. It's called Franklin County Cider Days. This was the uh, 21st annual Cider Days. Uh, it's kind of a New England-wide event. Um, we have apple growers, uh, fruit explorers, uh, cider makers, cider enthusiasts. We all converge on this tiny little town called Greenfield in Massachusetts, and there's events at, at orchards and at little community centers all throughout the county. And uh, it's kind of become sort of a, a hub, kind of a magnet for serious cider makers from throughout the country. And even Canada, there were cider makers from Nova Scotia, Quebec, Ontario. Uh, we just all kind of get together, and there's workshops and tastings and uh, after parties, so to speak. You know, So we just all, it's kind of a place where we can all get together and be a tribe and, and relax and just chill and talk about cider. Well then, and Darlene, have you been to Cider Days? I have for the first time this year, actually, and I was a really transformative experience in some ways. Just in part, getting to meet some of the you know the big names in the cider world, people that I have you know read their works and really respect what they have to say. Uh, Claude Jolicoeur and his great book on cider making, Ben Watson, 
also a really wonderful book on cider making and cider history. And uh, because it covers so many different aspects of the cider world from apple identification to wild apple sourcing to use of different kinds of yeasts to orchard management, um, you know, plus the tasting and early, you know, appreciation. Eric did a really nice um, sort of introductory, you know, cider 101 sort of course for people when they're just trying to understand different cider styles. Um, so it was, it was quite an experience. Yeah, you want to know more about cider appreciation 101? <laughs> I'm just awesome. I'm pointing at Eric. I, I saw that look. <laughs> no, you can't see it on the radio, but yeah. So, um, so yeah, on Sunday morning at, at um, on Cider Days, they normally have a number of different talks throughout the day on Sunday. People I super respect, um, Apple historians and experts like John Bunker mm-hmm. from Maine, uh, Tom Burford from Virginia has been up many times, you know, Steve Wood, Eleanor Leger, pretty much sort of the, the all-stars of kind of the Apple and the cider world. And uh, I was lucky enough to be able to give a session, a 90-minute session on cider appreciation. So I was able to pick out uh, 12 ciders, Perry's, ice ciders, and basically for just kind of complete beginners, just trying to walk them through um, what they should be looking for in all these different kinds of products because um, most ciders are not really that widely distributed. So, you know, to go out into a bottle shop or to a restaurant and try and purchase all these ciders would be extremely expensive. So we kind of had a nice little compact, inexpensive way for people to sample a lot of different ciders from around the world and kind of understand what they're all about. Maybe on that note, before we get into cider cock, does, does anyone want to say some of their favorite ciders that they really like? drinking because i'm loving the farnham hill i'll always like that one i love fable farm in vermont and how do you know those guys they're like a, i know them too they're like a csa vermont yeah, guys making really homemade cool cider kids. yep and they teach you know people how to farm and uh their cider is beautiful they have a sugar house they make uh, maple syrup as well really really great stuff i met them through deirdre heakin who makes natural wine in vermont that is so small. The world is small. I mean, they're, they're friends with the guys from Blind Tiger, and yep. if you go up to Vermont, you can try. Yeah, the, they have a like a harsh, like kind of farmy cider, and they put it in a barrel for a year, and it's one of my because it's still kind of acidic, but then it feels well rounded. Have you had anything like that, Eric? Where where it's like more farm based, and people are putting it in barrels like like the old days? Yeah, I mean, there's some small producers scattered around. Uh, one would be a Flag Hill Farm, which is also in Vermont. Um, they've been producing. Uh, Sebastian's been producing there for a long, long time. He's actually from England originally, and his ciders are only available in Vermont. Um, but when they're good, his ciders are really, really good. Um, and there, there's increasingly more ciders that are being made like barrel fermented. You know, not just like aged in a barrel, but for example, Millstone down in the kind of the Baltimore, Maryland area is doing a lot of interesting stuff, using some heirloom apple varieties and doing a barrel fermentation, wild yeast fermentation, unsulfited, unfiltered. Um, so they're a pretty big operation. But, yeah, there's a lot of little farmstead places around that, you know, their products are kind of hard to find, but there's some pretty interesting stuff being made out there, yeah. And, Jade, you're working at Wasail, which is it's really the only dedicated cider bar in New York City. It is as of right now. Hopefully that, you know changes in the future. There's a lot of people wanting to drink cider right now. Uh, there's a lot of great places. You can still get a great cider list, but Wassail is the place to be if you are... And what's, if I go there tonight, what what cider should I ask for? Before we get to cocktails. Tonight, I would ask for Mr. Uh, Dan Pucci and uh, talk about the list with him. We have a bunch of cool ciders that we just got in this week for Cider Week, um, but he would take you on a journey. Yeah, you can't tell me one. <laughs> I love Sunstrom uh, ciders. Yes, tonight for sure. Um, I really love uh, the Black Duck Dry Perry. 
Um, that is one that I go back to. It's super interesting, dry, but still has a lot of fruit to it, a lot of savory characters. So black duck and, and Finger Lakes. Mm-hmm. And what is he doing? He's doing like total natural cider making. Yeah, far out. It's, right? it's, it's funky stuff. Like you say, what did you say? Sunstrom. Yeah, Leif Sundstrom. He uh, is in Hudson, New York, producing ciders made from a lot of heirloom varieties. He just made a batch, actually, also that was completely crab apple. And I thought he was insane. You know, he's pressing all these apples in the barn for like 14 hours. And then he, uh, you know, pressed everything and, and the juice, like volume to volume, yielded just as much as Northern Spies, as much as anything. So, you know, like a, a lot of so these you, cider makers you're are a, doing. You're wild because you're a maker. You make, you make vermouth and, and you're, you're talking about the people that are making these small batches that. I love and, and, and I'm craving it. This, this whole cider week is so excited just to think about the different people that we, we can meet and, and, and taste their ciders. But let's talk about making cocktails because that's one reason Darlene's here. And Darlene, how'd you ever, uh, you wrote a, a book about cider cocktails and then we can try one that Jade made from Wassail. Why don't we try the one that you made while Darlene talks and then we can all talk about it. I gotta get to my cider cocktails. Alright, well, I, I've been interested in cider for a number of years now and one of the things that really interests me is how closely cider is tied to American history, and I was poking around in some old um, 19th century mixology manuals and and discovered that there were actually a lot of cocktails made with cider in the 19th century and probably even earlier um, and in, in Britain where they'd mix it into punches, but nobody really wrote recipe books for those kinds of things. Those didn't start to appear until the 19th century. And as I started to kind of... You know, play with some things, uh, try to recreate some of the historic cocktails, um, like the Stone Fence, which is one of the oldest I know of. It goes back at least to the 18th century, which is a simple mix of local cider and local spirits. I actually, um, somebody asked me today for like some fall cocktails. I opened your book. The first one was the Stone Fence. Well, because that tell I think us is what, the real, what's that's the, the mix classic. of that. It's that's it's, the kind of drink that I can make at home. It's well, it's it's it's. it's <laughs> 50-50 cider and uh, and uh, some barrel-aged spirit. It tends to be, I think, better with a barrel-aged spirit because I like to have a little of that sort of uh, oakiness, woodiness, um, I think really sets off the cider. If, if it's a really dry cider, you might want to top, you know, pop in a little bit of simple syrup to kind of bring up the sweetness, or some people will top it with a little bit of orange, or not orange, um, lemon rind. But that's why it's so simple. Uh, it was the sort of thing that uh, if you remember your American history, Fort Ticonderoga was taken by Ethan Allen and his Green Mountain Boys. They spent the night before they went off to the fort drinking stone fences at the, one of the local taverns. So, so you, can't, you, you can squeeze water out of rocks, right? Apparently. It's, it's booze. <laughs> Eric, at Glencap and other events you're doing, are, are you tasting spirits and other apple products? Yeah, it's still something that I think that's not really has a widespread appreciation of fruit-based spirits in general. Uh, but I think there is some interest. Um, there's a little bit of crossover. There's a, um, a drink called Pameau that's uh, traditionally from uh, northern France. And it's just sort of a mixture of apple juice with an apple spirit. So that's kind of a way to, that people can kind of get introduced to the category. So, Jade, what's this cocktail you make? Because it almost tastes like a Pameau to me. Yeah, this is uh, the gin and juice uh, that's on our menu right now, which is uh, a Spanish cidra, a little bit of Concord grape. And celery bitters with a touch of gin. Um, it's delicious and it smells awesome. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing that little touch of celery yeah, bitters. Yeah, celery. Just sort of that savory bitter side note is really, really yummy. So with, with Bianca and, and Darlene, this is a pretty serious cocktail. Uh, 
You know. <laughs> yeah. I would, I, would gar- I would go and garnish this with celery leaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. aromatic yeah. for yeah. sure. And the and the cedar, the sharpness of the cedar really helps to kind of balance out that the really sweet Concord grape thing. Jade, did you make up this drink, or is it like yeah, a classic? Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- I made up this drink. Um, like going back to the stone fence, we always have stone fence on the menu on right. sale. It's uh, we rotate it out with different, yeah. different to pair different ciders with different spirits yeah, sure. and. You know, right now we have uh, some like pear brandy, scotch, mezcal. Mm. There's a spirit for every cider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. All right, well, cheers to that one. Cheers. Um, this is really fun for me. And, and, and you know, Cider Week, every year we, we do some Cider Week shows. Right now we're running, I think every day Heritage Network is posting some of the other cider yeah. shows that we recorded this year. And we met some great people this year. John Bunker, we were at Wasail this summer with. Uh, John Reynolds from Black Duck, and quite a few of those shows are going to be aired this week, so there's a lot going on. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Today's break music provided courtesy of our very own Keto. We'll be right back. L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. And uh, Stevie, you want to pop? Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, it's Cider Week. It's uh, November 2015. Cheers to that. We've got some uh, cider experts, home cider makers, brandy and vermouth makers, cocktail people, and author Darlene Hayes, who's uh, one of my favorite cider people who is writing about cider cocktails, which which is pretty wild. What do you think about it? Eric West also, uh, our, our great cider expert. What, what I mean, is, is cider we come that far that now we're – we assume that everyone knows everything about cider. We're just going to talk about cider cocktails. Well, uh, you know, I guess I'm a little surprised when I go out into the public. I think I, because I've been interested in cider for so long and I've seen the number of producers just completely explode here in the U.S., I would think that 
people's knowledge and education about cider would increase as well. But I don't think that's really quite the case. And so um, that's the reason why I try and start from the very beginning as much as I can. So you're not trying to assume that people know more about cider than they really do. And Stephen has a, a home cider that he makes. He also has home cider making kits. And I want to just backtrack and, and ask him. So you're selling beer kits around the world and recipes that you develop. Uh, how popular are the cider kits? Just just, just to gauge like sure, the interest among people for just making cider. Sure. Cider kits have actually um, they've gotten really popular. I think at first it was a lot of people that loved beer but were afraid of gluten. And I think it's really interesting to see how many people are coming to cider from that aspect and then maybe getting caught up in the more farmstead quality of local producers. And uh, it's been it's been incredible to see how it kind of arose for a lot of people as like this this trend like this, oh it's gluten free I can drink it I love beer but like I'm just I just can't do this anymore and now people are actually understanding the intricacies and the differences between so, so many it's cool ciders. because you're you're selling homebrew kits and now cider making kits really able to gauge the interest of the average person yeah it's been incredible to see the change across the country and now across the uh, and across the world too. What about you, Eric? You seeing that change happening? And as far as uh, people wanting to make their own cider, well, no, well, more the, the awareness. There, are people really ready for better ciders, or do you think they just want whatever's I, I think, out there? I, I think that craft beer has really primed people to be looking for more flavor, to be looking for more subtleties, um, to not have something that's really bland. So, um, I think the enthusiasm is certainly there. Um, people are willing to try new stuff, and I think it's because there's the you know craft spirits and craft beer and all this other stuff that you know that um, you know food related that people are wanting more flavor. So, uh, like I said, I think the maybe the sort of the understanding is not quite there, and I guess that's you know that's what I'm trying to do, trying to educate people about you know the different styles of cider and the different you know ways they're all made, and so they can really appreciate what they're drinking. So, Diane, uh, darling, I keep calling you Diane because I, this is Diane Flint from Foggy Ridge. I've been running to so many cider people this week. Can't keep the name straight. Right, right. But tell us more about your book, Cider Cocktails. So it's called Cider Cocktails, Another Bite of the Apple. Uh, Again, because I wanted to sort of extend the idea of what cider could really, you know, be in the marketplace, um, in people's homes. And and I guess I suffer a little bit from Eric's... You mean (laughs) poisoned? I guess I suffer a little bit from Eric's, uh, what Eric said about, you know, I've been around cider long enough that I sort of think everybody knows knows things, and maybe they need a little extension, but maybe they don't. Um, but it's uh, 30 cocktail recipes and uh, 10 recipes for hors d'oeuvres, all of which contain hard cider. Um, some are easier than others, obviously, but it was really written with the home cocktail maker in mind so that there aren't a lot of really um, complicated infusions or that sort of thing. Um, some of them are based on historic cocktails, some just... Uh, sort of riffs on modern cocktails and some just fancies out of my own brain. Uh, warped cider brain. You know, it's funny. Sitting there, we're tasting home cider. We tasted some uh, Perry from Farnham Hill. And then we tasted Jade's, uh, her special gin and juice cider cocktail. And it's like New York City is this. And, and Bianca and, and Yoni, you guys jump in. To me, no matter how much you learn about cider or beer or anything, everyone always jumps up to cocktails. And I, I feel like this is just a, a cocktail town. And, and are you seeing that at Wassail, Jade? Because tell us how, how, the, how the cocktails do and the role of cider cocktails. Yeah, I think New York really kind of is a cocktail town. Uh, more so, I'm from the West Coast. I think more so out here than where I'm from in Portland. Um, but I think people also feel comfortable with cocktails at this point. I think cider is kind of at a point in like where... 
where cocktails were in like 2001, 2002. People weren't necessarily comfortable with cocktails at that point either. It was a kind of new thing to have a cocktail bar. Um, and cider bars are kind of in that area right now. So people come in and a lot of people know nothing and they're really excited. And a lot of people know a lot. Um, you just kind of don't know at all what you're going to get right now. But for the cider cocktails you're making at Wassail and Darling that, that are in your book, they have, they have cider in all of them, right? Yes. But are there any, is there anything typical about them or it's as creative as any other drink? Uh, no. The thing I really like about cider, I mean, there's acid in cider, which is always easy to work with. You think of like lemon or lime juice, the pH is like between 1.8 and 2.3. Um, the difference with malic acid is usually that there's like sugar attached to it, um, which is like even easier. It's like it's already made for you. You just add extra fun stuff to it, and it's delicious. Cocktail sriracha. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are so many, as Eric alluded to earlier, there are so many different approaches to cider right now, whether it's a, a fine dining cider that you find in a 750 ml bottle, or if it's more of the a cider that comes at a 12-ounce bottle and a six-pack that's aimed a little bit more toward the, the beer market. Um, those tend to often have uh, augmentation with other flavors like ginger or hops or other things. And that plays right into the wheelhouse, I think, of working with a cocktail because you've already got some, some sort of built-in extra flavor profiles to, to work with. Um, one we may be making tonight at Jimmy's is a simple play on a gin and tonic using a ginger cider. That one happens to be, um, I think we're going to use the one from Reverend yeah, Nats. Reverend Nats on some samples. Reverend Nats Revolution Oregon, Ginger yeah. Tonic with gin and a little bit of lime. I mean, couldn't be simpler than that. And it's sort of a riff on a ginger tonic because it's kind of got the, he uses a little quinine and, and his ginger cider. And uh, it's fun. It's great fun. Well, let's, we've got Yoni here who's, who's making Never Sink. It's a, a New York brandy. Is that what it is? It it is. <laughs> yeah, we, I don't uh, know. It's really strong. Tell us yeah. the truth. So we so good. We use uh, apples, 100% grown in New York State. Um, we like to kind of use a variety of apples. Each contributes a little bit of a different flavor, um, and uh, it was really important for us to use apples um, that are you know, commonly grown in New York that people associate with New York's orchards that grow well in our climate. So we use some of the apples we like to use are Empire, Golden Delicious, Golden Russet, um, Jonagol, some of those, some of those apples that you grow really well in New York that you see a lot of. And uh, back to the cocktail thing for a second, I think as a producer, it's just so cool to, to see this thing you've created take on new life forms. And I think um, I have, a little bit of a hypothesis about this as we're talking about it is that New York's such a creative town and, uh, you know, it, it being, it, it's a huge cocktail town because partially because, pop uh, it, Darlene, pop it. Yeah. <laughs> because, um, you know, it, it provides another level of artistry and before the, it reaches the consumer. And it's awesome from, to see the spirits I make I'm take on these new, uh, New shapes. So where, where are some places that are using your your never sink apple brandy and cocktails? Um, well, actually, Wasail. They're fighting over this this yeah. <laughs> fancy cider that actually Darlene Jade at Wasail. Um, w- when we launched this apple brandy in, in New York City, um, we did our launch party there, and uh, they they still make this awesome punch. I don't know, Jade, if you want to. Yeah, share yeah. Um, we always have a punch on the menu. Um, we get fresh apple juice, uh, and we have it on tap. 
so we could kind of try to use that uh, in something. And it's in the punch, usually. Um, it is apple brandy, apple juice. Uh, right now it's beet juice, lemon. Um, a touch of simple, crushed ice. And it's it's seasonal, so the, the beets really are great. Right now it's earthy with that kind of fruit component from the brandy. Uh, and apple and delicious. We've got to talk about this apple eau de vie, though, that... Uh Yoni just poured. It's it's a so really good. really amazing flavor. It has such a wonderful lingering flavor of apples on on the palate. It's I think it's probably the nicest apple eau de vie I can ever remember. Oh, thanks. It. It's, <laughs> re- it's yeah. really really stunning. It's yeah, really Yoni, stunning. How, how do you, how do you distill apples? I mean, like I know with with, with whiskey you make a, like a beer first and then you distill that. So we we make a, a hard cider first. Um, we do it a little differently than we would do it if we were bottling it as a hard cider. Um, we create a very tart, extremely bone dry uh, hard cider that we then double distill. And apples are a little bit notorious for being difficult to work with in spirits um, because they have there's a lot of funky flavors that get produced during the fermentation that just get concentrated in the spirit. Um, so we had to play around with a lot of different distillation techniques before we figured out the right balance for our eau de vie that was flavorful and also approachable. Eric, you want to say anything about history of uh, apple spirits? And Yeah, well, I guess traditionally when you um, wanted to preserve your harvest, you know, before refrigeration and before there were easier methods to transport and store foods, distillation would have been one of the ways to kind of preserve a crop. So um, there's a tradition in, in Normandy and in Brittany where um, if you've gone through the whole year of cider and you still have cider left in the barrels when the new harvest is coming in, you just distill it, you know, to make room in your barrels for the, the next year's cider. So, um, you know, historically, cider has been a, a rural beverage and, you know, a lot of uh, distillation, like especially like where I'm from in Virginia, all the old plantations would have a still because they weren't really interested in cider. They wanted to have the, the brandy that they could that they could keep. Now, that's my so. feeling, too. When we first, first Cider Week first started in 2011 and the experiences I had, you know, there's always like Druin, which is one of these houses in, in, in Normandy. And, and I'm sure you've probably studied them, Yoni and, and Jade. And for me, it's like, it seems like, number one, they want to distill. They want to make calvados. They want to make a brandy. And then everything else is kind of, like, subservient to that. I mean, do you, do you see that in, in some of the products you work with, Jade, and, and you, Yoni? I, I definitely think there's a, a history uh, in France of the calvados making um, that we don't have quite so much here. Uh, we do, actually. I mean, Laird's apple brandy has been around forever. Um, the there is actually a, yeah. They used, yeah. To, they used to supply Washington, actually. And I think they're seventh generation still family owned, right? right? Yeah. Right, right, right. But I, I, like Glen Cap, are you seeing other American distillers making apple brandies? Uh, we do, um, but it's it's something that with cider, it's kind of hard to reach out to the spirits makers so much because you know the the sort of the apple and pear, the fruit based spirits makers are kind of making a kind of a different product. They kind of run in different circles, I guess, than the cider people do. But um, yeah, we do have categories for eau de vie, which is like the unaged apples or pear spirits, and we have a category for brandy, which is um, barrel aged or you know wood aged eau de vie. So you get some of that wood character in the brandy. And then uh, as we were talking about earlier, there's a product called pomo. That's a, a traditional in Normandy where you mix fresh juice uh, with the spirits, and it's roughly about 16%, 17 18% drink, and it's a really, really nice um, sort of pairing with cheese, and, like, yeah, it's a really beautiful drink. I'm, I'm a big fan of Pomo. I know South Hill and Finger Lakes makes one, but do you, have you guys made a, a cocktail with Pomo? Yeah, I actually I have a Pomo uh, cocktail on the menu right now. Um, it's 
very easy to work with, too. It's delicious. If you don't have a bottle in your fridge, you should get one now. Um, but it's it's just so, it's lower alcohol. It's easy to drink. It's easy to work with. has a lot of fruit to it, again, and still has that acid backbone. I have to I have to just give a mention we sort of this isn't really cocktail related but we opened a, a bottle of one of my local ciders I, I actually come from Northern California north of San Francisco and brought with me a bottle of uh, cider made by my local cidery Tilted Shed and this has been aged in gin barrels from our local distillery Spirit Works and um, yeah the nose is really weird like it, it's 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 almost it, cheesy yeah yeah and the interesting thing is i get so much of the clove and the cardamom that was used in the in the gin i'm finding this really fascinating so um, what i like about this a lot is that on the back label the producer is very specific about how it was produced how it should be served the fact that it was unfiltered and unpasteurized and i fucking love that shit because so many people you know, just have like cute labels, like fucking uncouth roof. And they you know, they anything. told me that you had a bad mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's why you asked me back. I did. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it, it's putting, it's like Frank Cornelison. It's like putting all the information out there. This is what we did. This is what we want you to do. Drink it in a white wine glass. You know, it's, I love that. That's really great. It's very informative for something that is obviously a very small production. Yeah, the best producers, I think, are very transparent about what varieties they use and how the the, uh, the uh, cider was produced. And so, yeah, I think that's definitely a clear sign of somebody who's authentic and uh, wants you to enjoy the cider and understand it. Yeah, Yoni, for, for you with with your production, I mean, I know you're also part of something else. There's there's so many cool things happening with with Apple products, and and, and you're somehow involved. What you have? There's a farm, a brewery, and a distillery. Yeah, we, somehow connected. Yeah, we uh, we started this company that has three branches. Essentially, we have a farm in Northwest Connecticut. We grow a lot of really weird varieties of apples there, but we have a young orchard, so the not producing a lot of apples yet. And then we have a brewery on our farm that makes really great farmhouse ales. And then we have our distillery, which is actually in New York State. Um, but yeah, I think that that point that Bianca made is is absolutely true. And, and making something like an eau de vie is, uh, is challenging because, you know, a lot of uh, American consumers haven't had it before or, you know, there's a little bit of education involved. So, you know, it's... It's it's a thing that we're all working on. I have think, you had to have many conversations with people that ask why it doesn't taste like apples? Well, yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, it does taste like apples. <laughs> well, some people, th- you know... Why it doesn't taste like cinnamon? Why isn't it sweet? <laughs> why isn't it sweet is, is, uh, is definitely a common question. Um, but yeah, there's uh, all kinds of funny conversations that are had. But yeah, it's... Uh, an eau de vie is traditionally drank neat after dinner um, or chilled but um but i as i said i'm really excited when people use it in cocktails and take it in new directions awesome all right hey we're gonna take a short break we'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right Thank you. 
Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's November 2015. This is our special live Cider Week show. We've also, uh, Heritage Radio Network is airing some of our other special Cider shows all week. This is this is a great day for us. And hey, was, Jimmy. Yeah, man. Guess what? I got a surprise for you. What? This is the 300th episode. Wow. Oh, my yeah. God. Officially. Well, I want to say thanks to everybody because uh, when we started... Wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, we started. This is a 300 show. It's amazing. Thank you, Jack. When we started, it was it was me and Ray Dieter in, in the studio with you guys, and uh, we're we're so happy to, to be, keep doing this because it keeps a lot of us going and so many great people we've met. And uh, but on the show tonight, uh, uh, of course, Eric West from Virginia and and Darlene Haynes, the author of our cider cocktail book. In terms of who's traveled the farthest, goes saying who's traveled the farthest gets to talk the most. But I think Darlene, Darlene, wait a minute, you're from California, so. I know that i'm an hour north of san francisco so tell us more more about the cocktails well what do you want oh uh, I, uh, you got a book make, i have a, a book. book um <laughs> cocktails are great make more of them they're simple hey you know if you if you have a favorite cocktail whether it's what i used to drink in college i'm sorry to say seven and seven or if you've got some more sophisticated tastes if it involves something fizzy, think about replacing it with a cider. Um, you might find that you're really pleased with the extra punch of flavor you can get from adding a cider to a cocktail that you might may not have thought of before. And, and Bianca, you know, you, you're a, I consider you a great cocktail person. I know you're you're making fortified wine. You're, you're vermouth. Um, you came on the show inadvertently because you you make an apple mint vermouth, uh-huh. not an apple vermouth. Yeah, I have no idea yeah. what I'm doing here. By so the way, we- <laughs> except to pitch sensitive cleaner is my new beer line. And now I, know, I know what she's doing. She's because because Yoni and I've been putting together a cocktail with her apple mint, not apple mint. Apple mint vermouth, and it's a stunning cocktail. Yeah, apple mint is a type of mint. There are no apples. <laughs> There's actually apples in my hops vermouth. <laughs> Well, and there's hops in this cocktail, so it's actually it's actually a pretty good segue. So, what's the cocktail? I heard about this all. The, so, there's two cocktails. Most about Jade. Jade brought a cocktail. We, we we tried that. You guys made a cocktail with uncouth vermouth, uncouth vermouth, apple mint vermouth, Yoni's wonderful never sink apple eau de vie. Um, a little bit of a hops infusion, a little bit of simple syrup, and a little bit of a semi-sweet New York cider. When we did our um, trials earlier today, we happened to use Original Sin uh, apple cider. So this, this is the, you guys will email me this recipe. We're going to serve this yeah. at Jimmy's number forty-three. You, yeah, you've, you've got you've got. This is something that, yeah. that yeah. you guys are going to probably push a lot more because it sounds really great. Yeah. It's yeah. delicious, and I'm going to drink some tonight. So. <laughs> All right, and. Uh, Eric, back back to cider history because yeah. you know I was confused. I, I I knew about the early days of people planting apples and, and <coughs> cider as the people's beverage. Yeah, so cider has traditionally been a very rural beverage. Um, you know, if you think about beer, uh, a lot of the beer was bird, brewed in very urban conditions. You know, by German or Czech or other Eastern European immigrants, whereas. Um, your cider was a very farm-based, um, rural type thing. You know, it was something where it would be a mixed, you know, farm operation. You would have your cows, you'd have your corn, and apples would just be part of that mix. So cider making was just sort of like a part of, you know, what your sort of agricultural kind of, you know, 
what, what you did, you know. So a lot of times it was just self-sufficient, you know. You could make your own cider, and that way you didn't have to spend any of your precious cash, you know, on, on booze, basically. Um, so well, what I find really fascinating about um, what we're doing here is that cocktails, to me, seem to be very sort of like an urban type thing. And we're taking cider, um, which is a very sort of orchard-based and then therefore a kind of rural sort of thing, and uh, kind of putting them together. So um, there have been things like the Stone Fence, which is a very traditional cocktail. But, you know, I'm really excited to have everyone here in, in studio because, you know, there's all this new directions, you know, that we can go with cider cocktails, and it's something that I'm excited to really learn about, so. I think you asked, Jimmy, earlier why, I mean, so people were making cider and then distilling it. Distilling was not only because things keep better when they're distilled, right? I mean, even cider, because the alcohol level tends to be, overall, lower than, say, wine, although you can get apples and sometimes harvest that will, you know, pump the the alcohol level up to you know ten eleven percent. Generally, it's more in the range of seven to eight percent, and that will still only last so long. So, if you really want to make the most of your harvest and keep it the longest, distilling it is the way to do it. Or making pomo. Or making pomo. Yeah. Or doing both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and I understand that in um, France. Uh, that one of the ways they, uh, they they actually have mobile distillers that will go from cidery to cidery to distill part of the cider that's made in any particular year, which is something that I think would be great in the United States, but seems unlikely to ever happen. Sounds like a good fourth business for the Neversink family. Yes, there you go. Well, I'm planning on following some of those distillers around, hopefully next year, so if I can get an act together. So, so if there's places, so as, as a distiller of apple brandy, Yoni, other places in the world you, you want to go and, and learn about their traditions? Yeah, well... And not just apples, but other things. Certainly Normandy is at the top of the list for Calvados. As I said, following one of these mobile distilleries around is definitely a dream of mine and of Noah, who's my partner in this business. Um, but, you know, all of Europe makes great fruit eau de vies, pretty much, and each country has its own tradition of it. So places like Serbia, Czech Republic, Austria, Germany, they all have great eau de vie traditions. Um, and I would like to spend a lot of time in each of these places and drink a lot of eau de vies. Love that sound. The Czech Republic is like the spot for just fruit brandy in general and beer brandies, which are, you know, here it's moonshine or unaged whiskey, but over there it's called beer brandy. And, uh, you know, the cool thing about the Czech Republic is everything kind of has to be made with fresh spring water or else they don't like you <laughs> like or anything you make so it's it's really cool like the the quality and 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 almost everyone who's making um fruit brandies in the Czech Republic is a family operation that is very small that is just using fruit that grows on their land and you know they're not adding anything because when you take fruit you know on your own land and you're producing it very nearby you don't necessarily have to add yeast to create fermentation. So some of the some of the purest, I think, fruit brandies are coming out of the Czech Republic that you'll never ever see in the U.S. All right, and Jade, for, for other, let's go back. Wassail, you're the the person doing all the cocktails, mm-hmm. and with do they all have cider in them? All the cocktails at Wassail. Um, we usually have a two or perhaps three on the menu that don't. Just so you know, you have some options otherwise. Maybe a couple of classics, um, but we include either uh, brandy, cider, or pomo, 
something along those lines, ice ciders, and when, um, in almost everything. When I think cider, uh, especially cider cocktails, I'm just it's it's uh, I'm thinking fall and autumn. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, challenges when it comes to spring? And I mean, cider is incredibly versatile. So, what are some of the things you might change up yeah, when it comes so to I, warmer weather? As far as like spring and summer, it gets a little bit more refreshing on the menu. Um, and then you think of something like a long drink, like a Collins. And like you were saying earlier, replacing something like soda with cider. Um, and it's a pretty easy switch, especially with um, everyone that we work with in our kitchen and our cider makers that come in. We get a lot of access to foraged stuff, a, a lot of like seasonal stuff they bring in for us to play with all the time. So that keeps it seasonal and fresh. Darling, you pick one more cider cocktail from your book. Oh. Just talk us through it. All right. Well, it's going to inspire some of us. Got to inspire some of us. Uh, ah, okay. I got to talk about the J.P. Hill. Uh, uh, John Philip Hill, and and this is this is me loving the history again. John Philip Hill was a uh, member of the House of Representatives in Maryland during Prohibition, and he really wanted to sell two and three quarter percent beer, and. But the law would not allow him to do that because anything over a half percent, illegal to do. But what I just learned recently when I was working on this book was that there was a clause in um, the Volstead Act that allowed home fruit juice makers to make what they called non-alcoholic fruit juice without any, uh, any repercussions of anything else that was in the act. But they didn't define what a non-alcoholic fruit juice was. So Hill decided he was going to sort of push the law a little bit. And he made a bunch of cider, fermented it to dryness, so it's probably at least 7 8%, and put an ad in the paper inviting everyone to his house for a party to drink cider, <laughs> right? Hoping he'd get arrested. He, it, it took him two years. He eventually got arrested, and he was indicted, and he was taken to trial, and he was found not guilty by the jury, because no one had defined non-alcoholic, and they found his cider non-intoxicating, in fact. Bureaucracy. Yes, right. Well, so this is what saved the wine industry, because grape growers could still grow wine grapes and press them and sell the fresh juice, and once it got home, whatever happened to it was what happened to it, right? That wasn't the, the grape grower's issue. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to have worked for cider apple trees because those most of those disappeared. Anyway, I thought John Philip Hill de- deserved a cocktail, and so there is and a hot, cocktail. And hot vines. Why do, why do I think that – I'll give my quote, and then I want someone else to give us a great – it's like Thomas, and Jeff, Thomas Jefferson says, wine is a necessity of life or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, does anyone else have a good quote for why we – should be drinking all the time. I don't know. <laughs> well, Darlene, how about to turn them all into cider? Uh, well, that actually comes from Benjamin Franklin, although he's supposed to have been quoting somebody else. Um, he was talking is, to Native Americans. He was talking to a Native What's American. What's the quote? What's it's the a, quote? It is a shame to eat apples. It is better to turn them all into cider. I'll toast to that one. That's a good one. And Eric, any, any other tidbits of uh, apple history? or, or What about Glencap? So you, it's a huge event. 
and, and it shows that the side industry is maturing when you actually have like these awards and judging events. Yeah, so uh, the Great Lakes International Cider and Perry Competition has been held in Grand Rapids, Michigan since 2005, and it started out um, as a pro-am competition, so amateur cider makers and commercial cider makers were allowed to enter, and at first there were quite a few more amateur entries than commercial entries because the cider industry in 2005 was still quite small, um, and over time the, uh, the ratio of uh, non-commercial to commercial entries, um, we had last year 617 entries, I believe, and um, probably 80% of those were commercial entries. So ciders from not just from the U.S. and Canada, but you know from England, from France, uh, Czech Republic. Um, so it's uh, at this point, it's the world's largest international cider competition that anyone in the in the world, whether they're an amateur or commercial producer, can enter. And um, we'll, it'll be its 11th year uh, in April, so April 22nd through the 24th in 2016. Um, if you want to travel out to Grand Rapids and help us be a steward, or maybe if you have some experience judging wine or beer or something like that, and you'd like to learn about cider, um, definitely go to glencap.org and, and check it out. That's great. And then I'll ask everybody, uh, like Stephen, pick one cider destination you'd like to go to. There's a couple I want to go to. I mean, just I really just need to drive around upstate New York uh, and just drink cider all day long. I mean, well, not driving around drinking cider. That's probably a bad <laughs> idea. I need to be driven around upstate New York and just have some of the great local cider that's uh, being produced right. here. Yoni, where, where should we go for a cider destination? Well, it's kind of boring because I said it earlier, but uh, I... Normandy for both cider and Calvados is just going to be my my first destination right now. All right, I know what Bianca's going to say, but you what? can say it. Anyways. What am I going to say? Your cider destination. What am I going to say? You're the, the dude that's, that's upstate York. somewhere. Uh, no. Your buddy Leaf. No, I don't. I don't uh, that's that I mean, that's yeah. I mean, I live there, but uh, no, I want to go to Basque. Oh yeah, the Basque country. Yeah. I wanted to put a plug in for Quebec. I want to um, plug in Basque so and some Basque outside, outside Montreal, there's a huge ice cider tradition there, and it's actually really not that far um, from people in New York State. So if you want to get a different cultural experience, uh, ice cider is a super premium uh, beverage, apple-based beverage that was uh, um, introduced in Quebec about 20 years ago. And they've basically just taken commonly grown you know, northern climate varieties and turned it into this amazing premium product. Great. So, and Darlene, a cider uh, destination uh, before we wrap up? Historic, nor, nor, northern Spain. There, the cider Astorious. culture it goes back at least two thousand years, and is the most deeply embedded in everyday culture that I've seen anywhere in the world. And Jade from Wasail. If I can't get to Normandy, I'd say uh, cider destination is Wasail. <laughs> cheers, <laughs> cheers to that. And I'm saying Finger Lakes. I want to go to the cider house in Finger Lakes and hang out with my buddies uh, South Hill and uh, some Redbird Orchard. Redbird, yeah, yeah, that's really a. There's a lot of stuff going on in cider. I'm really excited to be hosting another cider week show with you guys. We're also airing a number of cider shows all week on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks so much for for tuning in. We got Eric, Yoni, Jade, Bianca, Darlene, and Stephen. Thanks for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'd like to thank our sponsor at Union Beer Distributors who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. And again, it's our 300th episode. I didn't realize it tonight. Uh, you talk about milestones. Number one, it's uh, the team behind you, everyone at Heritage Radio Network. Jack Inslee, uh, engineer extraordinaire, and Justin Kennedy and, and Maggie Seiden, our producer. So thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to you soon, all right? Thanks for joining me, Heritage Radio Network. And I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. right. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.